From the Edwin Cardinal O'Brien Pastoral Center in Washington, D.C., home base for the Archdiocese for the Military Services USA, this is Catholic Military Life, the only official podcast of the Archdiocese. I'm your moderator, Taylor Henry. And for this edition, it's my uh, great pleasure to have as a special guest, Father Daniel Lorimer, uh, a, um, a former U.S. Army chaplain who spent uh, some time in Afghanistan. Father Lorimer, thank you so much for talking to me today. Uh, thanks for having me, Taylor. And uh, the obvious topic of our discussion is uh, what's been happening over in Afghanistan as the uh, U.S. pulled out. Uh, give me your initial uh, reaction to the scenes we've seen at the Kabul airport, uh, and in particular the uh, blast that took place uh, killing 13 U.S. servicemen and dozens of Afghans. What went through your mind when you watched these images? Well, I, I spoke with you a few weeks ago before that had happened about coming on the show, and you know, you just told me about your desire to have a, a chaplain who had served uh, in Afghanistan, and so uh, you know, I really did that. And then, you know, the news started getting worse. Um, a lot of people that uh, served. Uh, we're going through these emotions before that event, um, and then when that happened, uh, I think it just kind of exacerbated uh, the feeling of, uh, uh, you know, what are we doing? Um, are, are we are we not watching out for our own? Are we not uh, uh, willing um, uh, to protect and and uh, fulfill what our duty is uh, to our to our soldiers? You know, there's a a beautiful image. Uh, I think there's a Navy chaplain kind of walking, a uh, Catholic priest kind of walking in front of uh, one of the caskets as they're, they're, they're carrying him off here in, in country. And, um, you know, these images are going around. Maybe some, some people I know on Facebook, uh, Catholics, uh, who are just saying, you know, using this as an opportunity to say, we, we need to, to be praying more. We need to uh, be thinking about the sacrifice because you know our country hasn't really experienced uh, what we would call war uh, in our borders. Um, the, if you think about that, the last time we've kind of experienced and felt something like that, it was uh, 2001, 9/11, and and this is the war uh, Afghanistan that, that that kind of sprung out of that. And so I think even for people thinking back to those days. Uh, just the, 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 the trauma that occurred as a nation and watching this uh, unfold and there's a, there's, there's a real sadness, especially for um, those of us who were there in Afghanistan. Um, you know, you hear a lot uh, from the guys who do SFAT missions, those uh, supervise, uh, facilitate, assist, train. They, and they started working with the Afghans, whether it be the, uh, obviously the translators, but but even the Afghan police and, 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 and military and army. And their relationships established, you know. And, and there was, uh, you know, the, the explosions and, and, and the bombs, that's, that's part of that Iraq and, and Afghanistan. And it's sad because, you know, they can be going in what you would consider a normal way, um, and then everything changes in a, in a split second. Um, mm-hmm. And it's about picking up, you know, picking up the pieces and, and, and seeing what's going on there. And, and I think that's the, the hard part of uh, these last few weeks, just kind of watching this unfold. Um, 
Yeah, it's been rough. And you, Father Daniel Lorimer, are a priest of the Diocese of Wichita, Kansas, and you uh, separated from the Army uh, at the rank of captain. Yes. Uh, and you spent, uh, tell me about your time in Afghanistan. How long were you there? When were you there? And what kind of interaction did you have with the folks you're talking about, the local Afghans who were helping the U.S. military over there? So uh, I went over um, with uh, 101st Airborne um, back in 2014. And obviously, when you think about Afghanistan, you think about the different regions. So uh, Kabul is where everything's happening now. It's kind of this international airport. Now it's where the international uh, leadership kind of HQ was. Uh, so all the flags flew there from every nation um, that was there that had some kind of representative or, or financial support. And then, you know, uh, down further where RC East kind of was, that's where you have Bagram, um, big airfield, a lot of, a lot of uh, soldiers and contractors, of course, uh, over there. And then um, we took, we had some soldiers there in our brigade, but we were more out east. So... Um, the fob, the five fobs. Now there are many more before we got there, but when we got there, they had began the drawdown. So around twenty nine fobs were there, and and this area I'm going to tell you about. But let me interject just for a moment for the listener who's not uh, familiar mm-hmm. with military terminology. A fob right. is uh, a forward forward operating base, and uh, so I stayed at uh, Jaff, uh, which is Jalalabad Airfield or Fob Fenty. And uh, it was there, um, kind of what I would say was kind of where my headquarters was. My battalion commander was there. Uh, some of our HQ fire brigade headquarters, that'd be more closer, not far, in Gambury. And then uh, we also uh, had soldiers in Torquem, uh, which is one of the places in our area where there's a Pakistan border. And then up by Asadabad, which is a fall right, that's also Pakistan border. And then uh, Metterlam. And those uh, places, uh, uh, as a priest and, and chaplain, um, uh, that area that I just mentioned, those, those four operating bases, I would take those and give Catholic coverage. So I would uh, get around by actually civilian air, we call it. So it's contract air, which means these are mostly former uh, uh, helicopter pilots who are now flying for contracts, and they're just doing during the daytime, 6.30 uh, to about 3.30. And so I just make the rounds to each of those places and try to stay uh, for a longer time, uh, maybe an uh, maybe a, a day, 24 hours or 28 hours or something like that, where I could try to get in to where they might have a mission and then I can get one group and then the next group comes back and I can get them as well before I, I headed out. So that allowed me to stay in that area. We, we called it keeping it green, and that just means... Uh, are the Catholic soldiers receiving Mass uh, and the sacraments? And if it's green, that means they are. Uh, if it's yellow, that means they haven't done it in about, I think it was 30 days. Uh, and then red means they haven't had it in three months. And then black means they haven't had it in six months. <laughs> so it was nice in that sense to be able to uh, provide in that way. And I, you know, I'm assisting those uh, who are working hand-in-hand kind of with the uh, Afghan and what we call their Afghan counterparts who are trying to learn uh, from the uh, American officers and soldiers about what it means to have, uh, you know, a mission, uh, objectives, um, how to be safe out there. And and, 
with the technology, how to, how to use it properly. Um, so tell me, what is a day in the life of a chaplain in Afghanistan back in 2014 like? Uh, you, you know, or how many flights per day? How many masses per week? What, what was your schedule like? Um, so it was, I would say it was different than even the previous uh, year, well, I'll say two years, a um, couple chaplains uh, that I live with or knew, uh, Father Ken Nielsen, he's now uh, currently uh, retired. He had been at West Point after his stint over in uh, Fort Carson. He traveled a lot more um, than I did. One of the reasons is because we were in the same area. So where I was, I was covering five places. And I would go, um, I might be at Fab Fenty, my, where I live, maybe two uh, to three nights a week. But the reality is I'd be traveling around and what I would call hopping from each one, but staying for a day. There. Via helicopter. Yes. And then, but he, in that same area, two years prior, uh, Ken was the brigade chaplain. He was a Catholic priest as well. I was a battalion chaplain. But as a, when you go over there, you just... You take care of your battalion, but for the most part, they need you as a as a Catholic priest to take care of the Catholic soldiers and the uh, contractors. Well, Ken covered twenty nine fobs, so you know those those green, yellow, you know, red, black. Those were real uh, issues uh, for him. Father Ned uh, Blick, from who I went in after he was in my diocese as well. Uh, he'd been to both uh, Iraq and Afghanistan, and Dramatically different uh, uh, pictures with him as well. So in Afghanistan from February to October 2014, when you were there, how many Catholic priests, including yourself, were in country? Uh, that's a good question. So while we were there, it happened that the highest-ranking chaplain was in Kabul, and he was a Catholic priest, uh, Colonel uh, Fulber, Colonel Hurley, who would eventually become the chief of chaplains. Father Paul Hurley. Yes, and he would replace, he would actually replace Rutherford, who was Monsignor Rutherford. So we actually had back-to-back priests there. Well, at that time, he uh, worked for the two, two generals there. And so he sent out uh, an order from them uh, that all Catholic priests uh, in country army had to gather in Kabul. So I was only in Kabul one time. And that was on order of these generals. So, of course, my town commander comes and says, hey, you got to go up here to this place and uh, get to go to Kabul. And I said, well, I can't. I'm going over here. I'm doing this mass. I'm going. And he said, no, 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 no. This is coming from the generals. You've got to go. And I looked at I looked at the order and I realized that it was uh, Paul Hurley, uh, Colonel Hurley. And I thought, oh. So we end up going and I, I get to see the, the Army uh, priest. So that would include myself, which would be, I was active duty at the time. And there were probably four. Four, if I'm counting right, if I remember right, four active duty, and then the rest would have been a guard and reserve. Four and active duty priests. Active duty priests, and the guard and reserve would have made up for another seven. So that would have been 11, I'm thinking, that were there at the time. Um, there was probably another one that was there, but he is actually, I think he was on R&R. And so, now keep in mind, of the, of the group, I knew three of them, I'm pretty sure, that were in Bagram. Mm-hmm. And from Bagram, they would actually be going out to different places, but also take care because Bagram is such a, a massive population of soldiers. Similar to like southern Afghanistan, like Kandahar, mm-hmm. that'd be a, I think equivalent to like Bagram and you know, East. And so, when you 
get to see and, and kind of talk about um, what's going on with those other chaplains. Uh, it was a good time, and and uh, Colonel Hurley was was wonderful. You know, Father Paul was just letting us uh, kind of talk, and he wanted to meet with each of us individually, see how we were doing. Uh, wanted this to be kind of our retreat, so he did this. Um, I believe, if I remember correctly, it was uh, after the Easter season. So I'm going to say right after Pentecost mm. is when he had this uh, done. Well, a retreat in a combat zone. It was a retreat in a combat zone. It was a day and a half. I mean, it was, uh, but it was, but I mean, that was a retreat. I mean, that was, <laughs> it was a lot, actually. Um, well, let me ask you this. You obviously interacted with a lot of locals in Afghanistan, or some anyway, right? Yeah, so, uh, well, most of them, on the, let's say, the most interaction was because, you know, where we on our, for instance, our airfield, Fenty, that they were the employees that worked there. They were mm-hmm. kind of coming on the post. They'd have to, you know, check in, get all their stuff, come in and do. So maybe they're uh, cutting hair or, or selling um, there as well. So uh, there was that. And then there was another uh, group where, for instance, the the SEALs would be uh, offering training on this side of the post. Uh, the, our special forces are offering training. And then our guys would be offering uh, training, and all in, in different capacities uh, uh, of what they were. So... If you think about uh, an airfield, it's the way that it's, a, it's basically what think of a runway, and then you realize that the, when you're talking about a f- an operating base, it's basically just taking that runway, and now you're making a, a big circle around it, uh, or an oval, and then they have a track around that on the inside, and that's where all the transportation goes for you getting places, and then the, or, or you're walking or you're running, and then you're uh, going to airfield always in the middle, and so each as you go around it, each one has a different section and duty. Um, so I would go, you know, where I lived, I actually lived in my office in the chapel. Um, that would be where, you know, we'd have a number of different services going on. Uh, I would do my mass there Saturday evening. Uh, two hours later, I would be picked up um, by one of the SEALs and go to the other side where they were because they were on a um, a different time mm-hmm. uh, they were on Zulu time mm-hmm. and so when I went to there it would be about 5 a.m. their time it would only be whatever 9 a.m. our time or so and then I would do mass for them in their in one of their mission rooms with all the TVs kind of turned off do mass there kind of talk with them a little bit and then head back out they'd give me a ride back over um, and then on Sunday I would do that but then I would be getting on a bird helicopter in the morning after mass and then heading to Gambier do one that night. Um, so constantly on the move. move. On the move a lot. Uh, so, for instance, Easter, uh, we were there for Easter, of course, and uh, the difference was that that was the one day I flew, what was it, Green Air, and that would be uh, the Blackhawks. Um, and so the colonel uh, of our brigade, um, his wife was a practicing Catholic. She was a daily master back at Fort Campbell. And so I think, you know, she had told him, you know, take care of the priest, you know, mm-hmm. and, and so on. Easter Sunday, a week before, he said, hey, by the way, you're getting my bird for the for that day. Mm-hmm. Wherever you want to go, it's yours. And so I had, had a vigil mass there at Fenty. I went over for the seals and did a kind of a morning mass, Easter mass, and then I came back for the a morning mass, and then I got on that on his birds um, and just went to Gambury and, and, and Metterlom and Torquem, uh, and Wright, those are the uh, Fabra, was Asadabad, 
and then was able to come back and do another one at the end. So there was just a lot of, um, obviously Easter, you know, a lot of activity uh, that day and a lot of people wanting uh, to go to Mass that day. The SEALs and the other servicemen, did they keep you safe? Did you have any close calls? Yeah, they, um, so during, one of the reasons why my commander wanted me to fly uh, white air or contract air was it was always during the daytime they were larger um, and uh, they don't fly if there is uh, any activity at a particular place so if we're going to let's say a sawed bath and it turns red uh, that means they're taking incoming well what will happen is they'll divert and go somewhere else um which isn't always the case with, with Green Air. And Green Air flies, it's based on rank. Uh, so captain, although it's it's big for the Navy, that would be like an 06 the Navy. In the Army, it's only an 03. So major is an 04. Uh, lieutenant uh, colonel would be an 05, and colonel would be an 06. So if I were to take Green Air, a rank could divert m- me. Mm-hmm. I mean, they could get on if they're trying to go somewhere, and then whoever's rank could take over that and say, hey, we're going over here instead. Uh, in contract air, it doesn't work that way, and the reason is because it's actually I would go in, and the one who's do, doing the scheduling, he would make it. Father, when are you going to go here? You know, I want to go here on Tuesday. Okay, here's what we're going to do, and then we're going to take these over here. And then he called me and say, hey, "Can you go to Bagram? Because I would go once a month to meet the other priests there, and then see the soldiers." And say, "Can you go next Wednesday?" And I said, "Yeah." So I would schedule that, and we work together to try to keep. Um, our our trips working in that in that sense. Um, what kind of reception did you get from the service men and women uh, when you would show up? Right. In some cases, where they hadn't been able to attend mass in weeks and hadn't been able to go to confession. Yeah, I suspect you were pretty busy on those visits. Yes. Uh, so so one of the big surprises for a lot of the service uh, men and women was when I would show up, and then they would see me maybe four days later. And they said, what are you doing? What are you doing back? And I said, oh, I'm, I'm back for Mass. And I said, well, we, we usually, last time I was in deployed, we only got one Mass in six months, you know, or, or one Mass in nine months. So what, what, when I got there and I talked with Paul uh, Hurley, Colonel Hurley. I said, I, we'd really like, I'd really like to stay in my area and just, you just cut us off and then I'll just take care of all the Catholic coverage in this area. Mm-hmm. And, and that way it limits the amount that I can be pulled out from the soldiers that I went over with with the 101st. And so it, because it was the drawn and because of what we didn't have as many uh, troops and as many fobs, um, he was able to make that happen for us. And mm-hmm. so my commander, battalion commander, my, my brigade commander, were very grateful because that meant that their Catholics didn't have to worry about not seeing a priest for weeks at a time. Okay. So the most they would have gone maybe since when I was there was maybe a like eight days would be it, hmm. you know, for the Not most bad. part I was there, yeah. In your time in Afghanistan, uh, Father Daniel Lorimer, former captain of the United States Army, you were there from February to October of 2014. Uh, in your time, did you get the sense that, uh, you know, it was catching on that uh, the, the democracy might be the way for the public in Afghanistan. Did you did you feel like uh, we were making headway uh, on the information front or what? I, I would say there was. We we certainly felt progress was being made, but but not to the extent that um, 
some would. And if you remember, there was an article that came out in 2012 uh, by a Navy um, colonel, I believe. No, I take that back. It was an it was an Air Force colonel. Sorry, and he wrote about what was considered uh, battered wife syndrome in regards to the Afghan people and the Taliban, their relationship to the Taliban. And so that article is available online for free, but it's just, it was just a, it just reminded me just on my way over there, I read the article. We were told to read it as a staff, I believe. And it was a reminder to us that, that the people had been through so much abuse, um, that they were very, they were afraid uh, of the Taliban. And, and what that means is if you think about where, Let's say, for instance, uh, Fabright, we were on a, a hill here, and below us in the valley, which is like so there's the water, and then you know if you're going over the helicopter, you see this, you can see this kind of river, and then you see all this vegetation. It's beautiful, and that's where the community is. So that would be where Asadabad is. Mm-hmm. Well, on the other side, we're on one side, on the other side of the hills, that's going right into Pakistan, and so when we're there, you know, the Taliban is in the mountains in Pakistan knowing that we can't fire over mm-hmm. into another country. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, the rules of engagement were like that. And, and But the people who would want our assistance and help um, would also, in the, in the smaller communities, they'd say as soon as you leave, it, you know, they, they would either would kind of push away, you know, well, they're going to come back. You have to stay because if, if you leave, then, and, and then we'd have soldiers. The article mentioned, well, we'll just train your 240 people how many people come up from Taliban? Oh, about 10 or 12. Yeah, we're going to train you, even if you just do your top 100, and you'll be able to beat them because you're larger. And they said, no, no, they're too powerful. And that's this mindset. They realize that it's not dealing, <laughs> you're not dealing with this, or some kind of regular community. You're dealing with one that has been abused. Right, so they were intimidated, very oh, much intimidated by the Taliban. So much. Were, were you surprised at how easily the Taliban took over Afghanistan when we started to pull out? Uh, my experience during w- what was considered a drawdown, and, and I'm not going to remember the numbers cor- exactly correct, but something like this. When we when I arrived in country in February 2014, I want to say we, we had over 90 to 100,000 soldiers in Afghanistan. When I left October 28, 29, we were sitting around 12,000, and we were supposed to be down to whatever it was, you know, 8,000, 4,000 by the end of the year. So the drawdown meant that you were closing FOBs, these four operating bases. And when you closed one, what that means is you have to transport all of the material over. So I, I had an office, which was, kind of, it was considered kind of the illegal office because my office had a chest that had wine in it. <laughs> and, you know, when you're in uh, uh, Afghanistan, you know, uh, a Muslim country, Alcohol is legal. Now, I always have a little thing I take with me from my travels, but I never had to use it. It just says, hey, he's, he's got permission, you know, religious leader or whatever. Well, the reason why there was so much wine is because when they would close a fort operating base, they would close the chapels, and so they'd bring all the chapel stuff, and the chapels had to go through it, and the wine would be placed in storage, and they just had put it in the priest's office. And so I had this padlock with this thing full of, of the wine, which is funny. Someone says, hey, can we... Can we come in your office? <laughs> oh, not yeah. So when, when we think about what was going on, is you realize when a fob is closed, there's stuff we we can't take everything. There's not enough room, 
And so what will happen is we would hand it over to the Afghan counterparts, right? And what many times um, when we left, they would say, okay, that's yours now. Now secure it, right? We'd show them, you know. And a lot of times they would do it for a little bit and then they would flee. Consume it. Well, they consume and flee and then the Taliban would come and get the rest. So each of these, you'd, you'd see them, we would fly over them. And they say, that used to be this fob, that used to be this fob, that used to be this fob, and, and there's nothing, you know. Mm. And so, yeah, when, when you, you know, you say, hey, we're, and we, and we were talking about it too openly at the time, you know, there was a drawdown coming, and of course, Iraq, ISIS had been reared its ugly head, and so that's when that kind of started, so we were diverting troops, Big Red One, when I was leaving, was getting ready to go over from uh, Kansas, Fort Riley, to uh, Iraq to secure the green zone that had been kind of given up. Uh, some years earlier, and so, you know, all the, oh, so now we're going to be refocused on Iraq. Um, that kind of was how we were thinking about it. Like, okay, now the next one's going to be over there. Or if it was Afghanistan, at the time, we did feel that we were going to have a presence in the country moving forwards. You know, so if you think about Germany and um, Italy, um, South Korea, right, after wars, we, we keep a presence there. It's not to, to rule, it's, it's, it's a peaceful Right. Um, but it is there for, for protection. And, and obviously it was going to be like that in the same way with Afghanistan. But, um, you know, here we are. It's 2021. Uh, and that was 2014, you know, drawdown at the, near the end of the year. Um, so what goes through your mind now when you know that some of the Afghans anyway who helped us over there, helped you, uh, are stuck in the country uh, with the Taliban in, in control again? Yeah. What's going to happen to these folks? Well, everyone who worked with uh, the U.S. soldiers or even NATO soldiers would be uh, considered an enemy, a traitor uh, to the Taliban. And so, I mean, they made lists, uh, and they would tell us, you know, when we were there. Uh, and so one of the particular uh, sad things was it was green on blue violence. That's usually when you mean you have an Afghan counterpart, and they come to work one day, and then they turn on their trainer and those were awful uh, because it really made uh, some of the, the soldiers react with utter hatred toward um, them in their hearts, where they're just in their minds, just like how we can't trust them ever, you know. Mm-hmm. And it was it was a rough uh, thing uh, to deal with. And so now we're looking at it from the perspective of those, um, you know, some are getting out. And so very grateful mm-hmm. <laughs> that people we were able to work with are now uh, free, you know. Um, the hard part is, is as most people are looking at that situation saying, I wish we could have uh, helped more mm-hmm. and, and not been so abrupt to say it's got to be this date when, when we're out and we're, we're going to be public about it. And, yeah. Because then you're basically giving uh, what, what the Taliban is, they just start you know, sweeping across. Once right. we leave any forward operation base, what's going to happen? They're going to come right in there. Sure. In the 60 seconds we have left, you come from the Diocese of Wichita. That was the home diocese of Father Emil Capon. Yes. A Korean War hero, U.S. Army hero. Mm-hmm. Uh, was he an inspiration for you? Absolutely. After reading uh, the old book, they have new books now, but the old green book uh, by Monsignor in the diocese. I read that, and, and we had a couple guys that had gone in, and, and uh, I submitted my paperwork after five years and said I'd like to go and, and serve in his footsteps. I want to go to Afghanistan or Iraq. I want to uh, give uh, sacraments to the soldiers. And so it's a great inspiration. And the wonderful thing is he's coming back. His, his 95% of his 
remains were found, a skeleton they're bringing it home. We're going to have a funeral mass in probably three weeks or so, and um, it's going to be great for our diocese. He's going to be entombed in the cathedral uh, under the crucifix there, um, and it's going to become a pilgrimage site, and we're hoping for that beatification around the corner. All right. Well, thank you so much. I've been talking to um, Father Daniel Lorimer, uh, formerly of the United States Army, um, separated from the Army, uh, what, how long ago? Six years. Six years ago now, and you're here in D.C., uh, back in uh, um, school, uh, pursuing your uh, uh, canon law degree. Best of luck on that, sir. And thank you so much for coming by to talk to me today. Uh, Thanks for having me, Jack. Appreciate it. Catholic Military Life is a podcast of the Archdiocese for the Military Services USA, erected by Pope St. John Paul II in 1985 to provide for the free exercise of Catholic faith in the U.S. military, VA medical centers, and the government's civilian workforce beyond U.S. borders. 1.8 million American Catholics worldwide depend on the Archdiocese and its endorsed chaplains for pastoral care. For more information, visit millarch.org. The Archdiocese for the Military Services USA, serving those who serve.